0: or visit Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I dot com.
1: Hello, my dark darlings. I'm Markia, and this is the Something Scary Podcast. To our veteran listeners and those voyaging into the dark with us for the first time, welcome. Friends. All your life, you're told that you should have good friends. Friends that are on the same life path that you have. At least... That's what my family has always told me. Sometimes we make good decisions when it comes to the friends that we bring close to us in our lives, and other times, it turns out that they're not really friends at all. Maybe they're not enemies, but they're definitely not friends. I've had to find this out more than once the hard way. But the good thing is your family always tends to take your side. In today's stories... We venture into familiar locations, like a bar in Texas and a subway stop in Japan. Familiar places that for all of us can hold friends and foes alike. Come close and listen to these harrowing tales of friendship and betrayal. First, we follow a detective on a legendary case into the backwoods of Texas. Next, we'll buy our first used car and receive all of the baggage that comes with it. After that, a birthday toy that is much more than it seems. And finally, we'll pass along a grisly story that bears repeating. I receive hundreds of creepy story submissions every single week. As always, the first story you hear is one that we've chosen to animate and post over at youtube.com snarled. Then, I read a few more stories for the podcast. If you have a tale you're dying to share send me an email at somethingscary@snarled.com. And if you'd like to support the show and receive bonus content, consider joining our Patreon. Our patrons play a huge role in keeping the show running every single week. For more information on how you can help the show and also be a part of it, visit patreon.com slash snarled. So, want to hear something scary? The Gator Man of Elmendwarf. Everyone knows to stay clear of alligators. This was the warning issued by police in Elmendorf, Texas. A string of missing persons led right to the bellies of local gators, all under one man's roof. This next story, inspired by a submission from Brittany, shows the terrifyingly true legend of Joe Ball. They called him the Gator Man, in hushed tones and darting glances when they dared to mention him. The town was Elmendorf, Texas, a rural and human place. And everyone had a story to tell about its dark history, including me. At the end of my investigation on the area's missing women, there still wasn't a break in the case. It can be tough to be taken seriously as a detective if you're not a man. The bartender of the sociable inn poured me another drink as he leaned on his crutch. Don't mind them for being so cagey. The Gator Man makes everyone nervous. He dropped the bottle and one of the waitresses came over to help. He apologized and offered me a drink on the house, noticing that his bandages had bled through a bit. The bartender told me that he'd gotten into a scuffle with the rowdy patron the night before and ended up with a broken bottle to the ankle. Intrigued, I asked if the violent guest was a regular. The bartender shook his head no and patted the gun on his hip, indicating he was ready if they came back. The waitress jumped in. I was so afraid she said the bartender had the reputation of a local hero the parents of one of the youngest victims had suggested i go talk to him when they needed help the bartender had led the search for their daughter and with a group of townsfolk found the remains of her bloody dress near a gator pit he had also stepped in to pay for the funeral costs even though it was an empty casket joe ball is a good man they all said later on when the bar cleared out The waitress slipped a note to me as I left. It read, go round back. I made my way along a hidden path and found an old wooden barn house. Stepping inside, I lit the lone light to dimly illuminate the darkness and covered my face. The light flickered and revealed the backwoods evil surrounding me that smelled of rot and the acrid must of swamp water. There was a man tied to a drain pipe. Muffled screaming came from his throat. Taking the gag off, he pleaded, he has my sister. Who, I asked, ripping the rope off his hands. Joe, it's Joe, he stammered. And I noticed the dried blood on his clothes. He must be the patron who tangled with Joe the previous night. The man explained that his sister had run off with Joe a few days earlier. And when he heard the description of the gator man's victims, he knew she was in trouble. He went to the bar to look for his sister when Joe took him out back and tied him up, ready to feed him to the gators. Suddenly, they heard the squeak of the old door. Joe had entered the barn with the waitress at his side. He had a gun to her head, keeping her captive. Show them, he told her as she tossed a frozen limb into the pit. Two gators jumped up to fight for the arm, quickly shredding it to pieces. They were hungry. Don't hurt her, I said, realizing Joe Ball had charmed and misled the whole town. Stepping into the light, we saw him for who he truly was. Joe Ball, the Gator Man. She's mine and your dinner, he said, menacingly nudging us forward. As we got closer to the pit's edge, the waitress pulled a glass shard from her dress and dropped quickly, knocking Joe over. She slashed the back of his knees, which sent the gun flying and Joe fell forward. Grabbing the gun, I pointed it at Joe, letting him know he was under arrest. Joe sneered, you'll never take me alive. He let himself fall into the gator pit, each one of his pets ripping into his body and he laughed as he choked on his own blood. Before leaving with her brother, the waitress thanked me, even though it was her courage that saved us all. Sometimes all it takes is even the littlest spark of light to fight the monsters in the dark.
0: Angie has made it easier than ever to connect with skilled professionals to get all your jobs projects done well. If you own a home, you know how much work it can take. Whether it's everyday maintenance and repairs or making dream projects a reality, it can be hard just to know where to start which means you can take care of just about any home project in just a few taps. Because when it comes to getting the most out of your home, you can do this when you Angie that. Download the free Angie mobile app today or visit Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I dot
1: Turning 16 is an exciting time. Some celebrate by throwing parties while others opt for their first car. And many, like in this story inspired by Natalie, are gifted with something else entirely. Christine had just turned 16, so her parents got her a car. They did warn her that it was used, but it had been checked out to run just fine. The dealership had skirted around why the car had been returned in such a great condition, insisting that it was a great deal even being sold as is. When pressed further, the salesperson told them that it just hadn't been a good fit for the family that previously owned it. Shrugging, Christine's parents figured what could go wrong. For the price and condition of the sleek red four-door, it was worth the final sale tag. License and registration in hand, Christine and her older sister Jane hit the road for Joshua Tree. The plan was camping, rock climbing, and some sisterly bonding on the way. Almost there, Christine, eyeing the half full meter on the fuel tank, declared a pit stop and pulled into a gas station just off the highway. It looked pretty interesting, actually. It was one of those theme gas stations filled with tourist trap trinkets. Both intrigued, they left the tank filling with the gas line and headed into the convenience store, loading up on snacks and impulse buys for the drive. Still looking around while in the checkout line, Christine noticed something curious as she looked at her car outside. A bewildered woman was running towards the passenger side with a child in her arms. Christine got Jane's attention and pointed out towards their car. They both watched as the stranger opened the door, put her child in the back, and then jumped into the driver's seat. "'What the heck? Is she stealing the car?' Jane asked incredulously. Handing her purchases to Jane, Christine ran out of the store, shouting to get the strangers out of her car. Running up to the car still parked at the pump, she took another breath to yell again. However, when she peered inside the car, they were gone. Her hands swinging with their bags, Jane came up behind her sister. Bewildered, she asked, What happened? Where are they? Shrugging, Christine looked around the empty lot and figured they must have realized it wasn't their car. They must have just gotten confused. Uneasily, Jane and Christine looked at each other, but what could they do? The woman and her child were gone. Back on the road, their cell phone service lost signal as they made it out to the desert. Jane popped open the glove compartment to look for a map. Inside... There was a pamphlet for housing with a note that read in big letters, HELP, and then on the map, HELP, written frantically along a route on the map with an arrow pointing to Joshua Tree. Getting chills, Jane snapped a picture to ask their parents to look into it when they got home. Arriving at the national park that afternoon, they set up their campsite and began hiking to their rock climb. From one of the larger boulders, they looked down at their camp and saw a man with a rope in his hands approach Christine's car. They sat down in shock as they saw him drag a woman out of the passenger seat, the same woman Christine had seen earlier. He wrapped the rope around her neck as she tried to run away and didn't let go until she collapsed, lifeless. In the car, they saw a crying child hitting the window with their small hands. The man went back to the car and snatched the child out. Christine and Jane couldn't see what happened, their view obscured, but the man threw the child's body over his shoulder like a rag doll. After looking around, he opened the trunk and deposited the small body and the rope. Christine and Jane ran back to the campsite to get help, grabbing makeshift weapons. They ran to where they last saw the people, but they found that no one was there. Both bodies were nowhere to be seen, no footprints, no tracks, no nothing. Christine began to wonder if they were hallucinating from the workout, dehydrated, delirious. Then they opened the trunk. At first, relieved to find nothing there. Until Jane pulled back a frayed bit of the car interior, And found some tangled rope. Freaked out, they slammed the truck closed and drove back home in a hurry. The next morning at the dealership, the salesperson told Christine and her parents the truth. The man he'd bought the car from originally had been caught and recently confessed to the murder of his wife and child. Papers reported on his history of abuse and detailed their murder after a road trip through the desert. The salesperson explained that they had taken great care in making sure the car looked immaculate, down even to a new paint job when it was returned again. Returned again? Christine asked. The last couple complained that they kept seeing a woman trying to break into it with a child, he explained. Pressed even further, the salesperson also revealed that this was actually the third time the car had been returned. He asked them how they knew something was up, and Christine's dad opened the trunk and revealed the rope hidden in the interior. Shocked, the salesperson started stammering. He told them that the murder weapon had never been found. Excusing himself, he began calling the police. Christine and her parents stayed to get their refund for the car and to also make their statements. As they drove back home, Christine's dad shook his head, explaining to her that sometimes evils done don't fade away. You can't just cover evil with a fresh coat of paint. Thank you for sharing this with us, Natalie. You know, I buy a lot of used things, things that are secondhand. And yes, right now the car that I um, am driving is new to me, but I bought it off of a friend and they were the first owner. I've never actually stopped to think... With all those owners owning the cars, if something as horrific as this happened, if that imprint stays with the car, because objects can have energy attached to them. And then I also wonder, in this story with Christine and Jane, they saw visions much more in depth than anybody else that had owned that car. Did that happen because of their intuition? or was the car haunted? And they were the only ones that kept it long enough to hear the message of where that murder weapon was. If you're fascinated by the darker sides of humanity, join us every week on our podcast, Serial Killers Here's an adventure in babysitting that young Riley won't soon forget, when she encounters an unexpected home invader in this story inspired by Sarah. Pulling into the driveway of Aunt Elena's, Riley was ecstatic at finally being old enough to babysit. Her cousin Ty had just turned four and was at an age where she could be supervised by an older kid in the family. All Riley had to do was entertain Ty, feed her, read her a story, and put her to bed seemed simple enough a crispy smell floated into the living room from the toaster oven alerting riley that their dinner was done cooking who's ready for dino nuggets riley announced ty unimpressed didn't even look up from her tablet as her older cousin went to the kitchen later when they were done eating ty fussed about leaving her new tech charging Maybe we can open one of your other gifts, Riley offered, looking at the half open pile that clearly stopped at the tablet. Ty shrugged, and Riley encouraged her cousin. Nonchalantly, Ty went for a gift that was intricately wrapped in metallic silver paper and adorned with a blue velvet ribbon. Riley recognized the handwriting on the card as their rich uncle, Stefan, who founded a famous tech startup. Surprised that he wasn't the one that sent the tablet, Riley helped Ty cut open the sealed box. This should be good. He likes to spoil us when we're little with gadgets that no kid should get. It completely caught Riley off guard when she pulled an octopus-stuffed animal out of the box. It probably talks, Riley told Ty as she turned it around looking for a switch. Ty handed her the instruction booklet and Riley tossed it. We won't need this. With a soft whir, the octopus opened its bright marble eyes and beeped a lullaby. See, even your new friend knows it's time for bed. As Ty looked into the eyes of her gift, the stuffed animal's expression shifted with a harp-like sound. You're my best friend, Ty, the fuzzy octopus announced. Ty shrieked. Riley laughed and agreed. Yeah. This is weird, even for Uncle Stefan. I guess it reminded him of the 80s robot teddy he had. Ty asked her to put it back, and Riley took her chance. I will, if you go get ready for bed. Ty nodded, and Riley picked her up, squeezing a little too hard. Ow! piped Ty, and Riley apologized as they heard a small alarm go off from the octopus. Octopus probably needs to be charged,' Riley thought as she carried Ty upstairs to change. While Ty brushed her teeth before bedtime, Riley went back down to put the toy away. She couldn't find it, so she went to put their dishes in the kitchen. That's when she noticed the sink was on and shut it off. Strange, she thought, unable to recall having gone to the sink earlier. When she came back out, Ty was sitting on the couch with the tablet in her hand.' Reminding her it was time for bed, Riley looked up at the foot of the stairs and was weirded out by the sight. There sat the octopus, watching. Ty kept playing on the tablet and motioned toward the stairs. I towed it to leave me alone. Riley picked her up again. Come on, up we go. And suddenly, she felt a strong mechanic coil around her ankle. It was a tentacle. Howling in pain, she dropped Ty onto the couch. When Ty saw the toy encircled around Riley's ankle, she ran up the stairs. Yanking the octopus off with a toss, Riley swiftly made her way upstairs too and into Ty's room. Ty whimpered, asking what that thing was. Some sort of fluffy Terminator? Riley said, checking her ankle. It would surely bruise. Ty asked what a Terminator was as Riley tucked her in. It's a story for another time, she said. Stealing herself, she told Ty to not open the door under any circumstances. She needed to get her cell phone from downstairs. Grabbing a baseball bat from Ty's things, Riley crept back down. The lights went out, and a scurrying noise followed her around the house. There was no sign of her cell phone. She heard the sink running in the kitchen again and ran to see her phone in the water. Riley fished it out and a tentacle wrapped itself around her wrist. The octopus moved like an agile spider and before it could jump onto Riley, she swung her bat, knocking it into the water. Thinking quickly, she shoved it down the garbage disposal with a nearby wooden spatula and flipped the switch. Fluff flew everywhere, revealing half a robot face with red eyes. After some struggle, it short-circuited and whirred as it powered down. When Riley's aunt got home, they found the instruction manual. The octopus was a new home security AI set to protect Ty, but needed the rest of the family to be uploaded to its program. When they went back into the kitchen to see how damaged it was, they realized it was gone no doubt waiting to strike again. Thank you, Sarah, so much for sharing this story with us. And I guess the main thing that we can definitely take from this is always read the instructions, no matter what the toy is, no matter who gave it to you, just read the instructions. You know, personally, I am not surprised about this AI turning against humanity. And if you want to know more about that, then I suggest you look up The Terminator. Who doesn't want to unwind and relax after a long day at school? If we had only the time. Unlike the two girls in this next story inspired by Matare. Makoto and I just finished our long school day and were returning home on the local train. We still managed to talk to each other in the crowded train. It was then that I noticed Makoto was quieter than usual. The two of us walked down the thin streets of Asakusa as the sun began to set. I stopped halfway through our route to get something from the nearby vending machine. I was out of coins, but Makoto spared me some change. However, as she was handing it to me, she froze. Her head shot up and she stared down the narrow street beside us. I was confused, but then I heard it too. Teke, teke. Like someone was bouncing a metal rod on the pavement. Makoto backed up in fear. She pointed out at something scuttling towards us. It carried a long object behind it. Every time the object hit the ground, it would make ominous noise. Teke, teke. The streetlights above us began to flicker and we could see the figure now as it stood up straight. It looked like a girl our age, but her body was decomposed, and there was a massive split in her abdomen. It was carrying a scythe. Just then, the lights flickered, and she was gone. Makoto spun around towards me like she was about to say something. Then, in an instant, I heard the swoop of the blade. Emakoto's torso split off from her body and tumbled to the ground. The figure had moved behind us and slashed at Makoto's remains with the scythe again. The figure pointed at me and told me its name was Teke Teke. She was a schoolgirl who was cut in half by a train. Long ago she fell off a station platform and no one responded to her cries for help. Teke Teke warned me to pass my story on to others, or else I would end up just like her, Makoto. Makoto heard the story, and she told no one. Now she is dead. So I must apologize to you, my trusted friends. I don't mean to give you this burden, but I don't want to die. You must pass this story on to others close to you, those who will continue our shared cycle. Tell friends, lovers, and family they need to save you. They need to do the same as me and you. Our teke teke will come for us all. Signed, Matare. I don't know if I can thank Matare for sharing this tale with us, but I do know that I've done my part and I've passed on the story to you. Will you do yours and pass on the story? Or do you think all of this is just an urban legend? This week's podcast stories were edited by Markia McCarty, Sabina Graves, and Adam Sinker. Audio edited by Johnny Ashley and Fitz Harris. Produced by Annalise Nelson. Music by Sapphire Sandalo. If you have a story you'd like to submit, send me an email at somethingscary@snarl.com. Don't forget to watch the video version of Something Scary over at youtube.com snarled. And if you'd like to support the show and receive bonus content, join our Patreon at patreon.com snarled. Until next time, my dark darlings, sweet dreams.